Chapter Six of Liza of Lambeth by W. Somerset Maugham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Hatton Forty Three, Blog de la Quinzaine.wordpress.com. Next morning, on her way to the factory, Liza came up with Sally. They were both of them rather stale and bedraggled after the day's outing. Their fringes were ragged and untidily straying over their foreheads. Their back hair, carelessly tied in a loose knot, fell over their necks and threatened completely to come down. Liza had not had time to put her hat on and was holding it in her hand. Sally's was pinned on sideways, and she had to bash it down on her head every now and then to prevent its coming off. Cinderella herself was not more transformed than they were, but Cinderella, even in her rags, was virtuously tidy and patched up, while Sally had a great tear in her shabby dress, and Liza's stockings were falling over her boots. "'What cheer, Sal?' said Liza, when she caught her up. "'Oh, I've got such a head on me this morning,' she remarked, turning round a pale face, heavily lined under the eyes. "'I don't feel too chirpy, neither,' said Liza, sympathetically. "'I wish I hadn't drunk so much beer,' added Sally, as a pang shot through her head. "'Oh, you'll be all right in a bit,' said Liza. Just then they heard the clock strike eight. They began to run so they might not miss getting their tokens and thereby their day's pay. They turned into the street at the end of which was the factory and saw half a hundred women running like themselves to get in before it was too late. All the morning Liza worked in a dead and alive sort of fashion, her head like a piece of lead with electric shocks going through it when she moved and her tongue and mouth hot and dry. At last lunchtime came. Come on, Sal, said Liza. I'm going to have a glass of bitter. I can't stand this no longer. So they entered the public house opposite, and in one draught finished their pots. Liza gave a long sigh of relief. That bucks you up, don't it? I was dry. I ain't told you yet, Liza, have I? He got at it last night. What do you mean? Why, Harry, he spit it out at last. Asked you to name the day, said Liza, smiling. That's it. And did you? Didn't I just, answered Sally with some emphasis. I always told you I'd get off before you. Yes, said Liza, thinking. You know, Liza, you better take Tom. He ain't a bad sort. She was quite patronising. I'm going to take who I like, and it ain't nobody's business but mine. All right, Liza, don't get shirty over it. I don't mean no offence. What do you say it for, then? Well, I thought of seeing as you'd gone out with him yesterday that you meant to, after all. He wanted to take me. I didn't ask him. Well, I didn't ask my Harry either. I never said you did, replied Liza. Oh, you've got the ump you have, finished Sally rather angrily. The beer had restored Liza. She went back to work without a headache, and except for a slight languor, feeling no worse for the previous day's debauch. As she worked on, she began going over in her mind the events of the preceding day, and she found entwined in all her thoughts the burly person of Jim Blakeston. She saw him walking by her side in the forest, presiding over the meals, playing the concertina, singing, joking, and finally on the drive back she felt the heavy form by her side and the big, rough hand holding hers, while Tom's arm was round her waist. Tom! That was the first time he had entered her mind, and he sank into a shadow beside the other. Last of all, she remembered the walk home from the pub, the good nights, the rapid footsteps as Jim caught her up, and the kiss. She blushed and looked up quickly to see whether any of the girls were looking at her. She could not help thinking of that moment when he took her in his arms. 
she still felt the roughness of his beard pressing on her mouth. Her heart seemed to grow larger in her breast, and she caught for breath as she threw back her head as if to receive his lips again. A shudder ran through her from the vividness of the thought. "'What are you shivering for, Liza?' asked one of the girls. "'You ain't cold.' "'Not much,' answered Liza, blushing awkwardly on her meditations being broken into. "'Why, I'm sweating so. I'm dripping wet. I expect you caught cold in the forest yesterday. I see your mash as I was coming along this morning.' Liza stared a little. "'I ain't got one. Who do you mean, eh? You're only Tom, of course.' He did look washed out. What was you doing with him yesterday? He ain't got nothing to do with me, he ain't. Gone, don't you tell me. The bell rang, and throwing over their work, the girls trooped off, and after chattering in groups outside the factory gates for a while, made their way in different directions to their respective homes. Liza and Sally went along together. I say, we are coming out, cried Sally, seeing the advertisement of a play being acted at the neighbouring theatre. I should like to see that, said Liza, as they stood arm in arm in front of the flaring poster. It represented two rooms and a passage in between. In one room, a dead man was lying on the floor, while two others were standing horror-stricken, listening to a youth who was in the passage, knocking at the door. You see, they've killed him, said Sally, excitedly. Yes, any fool can see that. And the one outside, what's he doing of? Ain't he beautiful? I'll get my Harry to take me, I will. I should like to see it. He said he'd take me to the play. They strolled on again, and Liza, leaving Sally, made her way to her mother's. She knew she must pass Jim's house, and wondered whether she would see him. But as she walked along the street, she saw Tom coming the opposite way. With a sudden impulse, she turned back so as not to meet him, and began walking the way she had come. Then, thinking herself a fool for what she had done, she turned again and walked towards him. She wondered if she had seen her or noticed her movement, but when she looked down the street, he was nowhere to be seen. He had not caught sight of her, and had evidently gone in to see a mate in one or other of the houses. She quickened her step, and passing the house where Jim lived, could not help looking up. He was standing at the door watching her, with a smile on his lips. "'I didn't see you, Mr. Blakeston,' she said as he came up to her. "'Didn't you? Well, I knew you would, and I was waiting for you to look up. I see you before today. Now, when? I passed behind you as you and that girl was looking at the advertisement of that play. I never seen you. No, I know you didn't. I hear you say, you says. I should like to see that. Yes, and I should too. Well, I'll take you. You? Yes, why not? I like that. What would your missus say? She wouldn't know. But the neighbours would. No, they wouldn't. No one would see us. He was speaking in a low voice so that people could not hear. You could meet me outside the theatre, he went on. Nah, I couldn't go with you. You're a married man. Gone. What's the matter? Just to go to the play? And besides, my missus can't come if she wanted. She's got the kids to look after. I should like to see it, said Liza meditatively. They'd reached her house, and Jim said, Well, come out this evening and tell me if you will, eh, Liza? Nah, I'm not coming out this evening. That won't hurt you. I shall wait for you. Taint a bit of good you're waiting, cause I shan't come. Well then, look here, Liza. Next Saturday night's the last night, and I shall go to the theatre anyhow. And if you come, you just come to the door at half past six, and you'll find me there. See? Nah, I don't, said Liza firmly. 
Well, I shall expect you. I shan't come, so you needn't expect. And with that, she walked into the house and slammed the door behind her. Her mother had not come in from her day's charring, and Liza set about getting her tea. She thought it would be rather lonely eating it alone, so pouring out a cup of tea and putting a little condensed milk into it, she cut a huge piece of bread and butter and sat herself down outside on the doorstep. Another woman came downstairs, and seeing Liza, sat down by her side and began to talk. "'Why, Mrs. Stanley, what have you done to your head?' asked Liza, noticing a bandage round her forehead. "'I had an accident last night,' answered the woman, blushing uneasily. "'Oh, I am sorry. What did you do to yourself?' "'I fell against the coal scuttle and cut my head open. "'Well, I never. "'To tell you the truth, I had a few words with my old man. "'But one doesn't like them things to get about. "'Won't it tell anyone, will you?' "'Not me,' answered Liza. "'I didn't know your husband was like that.' "'Oh, he's gentle as a lamb when he's sober,' said Mrs. Stanley, apologetically. "'But Lord bless you, when he's had a job too much, he's a demon, and there's no two ways about it.' "'Ain't you been married long neither?' said Liza. "'Nah, not above eighteen months. Ain't it disgraceful? "'That's what the doctor at the hospital says to me. I had to go to the hospital. "'You should have seen how it bled. It bled all down my face.' and went streaming like a bust water pipe. Well, it fair frightened my old man, and I says to him, I'll charge you. And although I was bleeding like a blooming pig, I shook my fist at him, and I says, I'll charge you, see if I don't. And he says, nah, says he, don't do that, for God's sake, Katie, I'll get three months. And serve you damn well right, says I, and I went out and I left him. But Lord bless you, I wouldn't charge him. I know he don't mean it, He's as gentle as a lamb when he's sober. She smiled affectionately as she said this. What did you do then? asked Liza. Well, as I was telling you, I went to the hospital and the doctor says to me, My good woman, says he, you might have been very seriously injured and me not been married eighteen months. And as I was telling the doctor all about it, Mrs., he says to me, looking at me straight in the eyeball, Mrs., says he, have you been drinking? Drinking, says I. No, I've had a little drop, but as for drinking, mind, says I, I don't say I'm a teetotaler, I'm not. I've had my glass of beer, and I like it. I couldn't do without it. What with the work I have, I must have something to keep me together. But as for drinking heavily, well, I can say this, there ain't a soberer woman than myself in all London. Why, my first husband never touched a drop. Ah, my first husband, he was a beauty, he was. She stopped the repetition of her conversation and addressed herself to Liza. He was that different to this one. He was a man as had seen better days. He was a gentleman. She mouthed the word and emphasised it with an expressive nod. He was a gentleman and a Christian. He'd been in good circumstances in his time and he was a man of education and a teetotaler for 22 years. At that moment, Liza's mother appeared on the scene. "'Good evening, Mrs. Stanley,' she said politely. "'The same to you, Mrs. Kemp,' replied that lady with equal courtesy. "'Now is your poor head?' asked Liza's mother with sympathy. "'Oh, it's been aching cruel. I've hardly known what to do with myself. "'I'm sure he ought to be ashamed of himself for treating you like that.' "'Oh, it wasn't his blows I minded so much, Mrs. Kemp,' replied Mrs. Stanley. "'And don't you think it? It was what he said to me. "'I can stand a blow as well as any woman.' I don't mind that, and when he don't take a mean advantage of me, I can stand up for myself. 
and give as good as I take. And many's a time I gave my first husband a black eye. But the language he used and the things he called me, it made me blush to the roots of my hair. I'm not used to being spoken to like that. I was in good circumstances when my first husband was alive. He earned between two and three pound a week, he did. As I said to him, this morning, how a gentleman can use such language, I don't know. Husbands is cautions, however good they are, said Mrs. Kemp, aphoristically. But I mustn't stay out in the night air. Has your rheumatism been troubling you lately? asked Mrs. Stanley. Oh, cruel. Liza rubs me with embrocation every night, but it torments me cruel. Mrs. Kemp then went into the house, and Liza remained to talk to Mrs. Stanley. She, too, had to go in, and Liza was left alone. Some while she spent thinking of nothing, staring vacantly in front of her, enjoying the cool and quiet of the evening. But Liza could not be left alone for long. Several boys came along with a bat and ball, and fixed upon the road just in front of her for their pitch. Taking off their coats, they piled them at the two ends and were ready to begin. "'I say, old gal,' said one of them to Liza, "'come and have a game of cricket, will you?' "'Nah, Bob, I'm tired.' "'Come on.' "'Nah, I tell you I won't.' "'She was on the booze yesterday, and she ain't got over it,' cried another boy. "'I'll swipe you over the snitch,' replied Liza to him, and then, on being asked again, said, "'Leave me alone, won't you?' Liza's got the needle tonight, that's flat, commented a third member of the team. I wouldn't drink if I was you, Liza, added another with mock gravity. It's a bad habit to get into. And he began rolling and swaying about like a drunken man. If Liza had been in form, she would have gone straight away and given the whole lot of them a sample of her strength. But she was only rather bored and vexed that they should disturb her quietness, so she let them talk. They saw she was not to be drawn, and leaving her, set to their game. She watched them for some time, but her thoughts gradually lost themselves, and insensibly her mind was filled with a burly form, and she was again thinking of Jim. He is a good sort to want to take me to the play, she said to herself. Tom never asked me. Jim had said he would come out in the evening. He ought to be here soon, she thought. Of course, she wasn't going to the theatre with him, but she didn't mind talking to him. She rather enjoyed being asked to do a thing and refusing, and she would have liked another opportunity of doing so. But he didn't come, and he had said he would. "'I say, Bill,' she said at last to one of the boys, who was fielding close beside her. "'Out there, Blakeston. Do you know him?' "'Yes, rather. Why, he works at the same place as me. "'What's he do with himself in the evening? I never see him about.' "'I don't know. I see him this evening going to the Red Lion. "'I suppose he's there, but I don't know.' "'Then he wasn't coming. "'Of course, she had told him she was going to stay indoors.' but he might have come all the same, just to see. I know Tom would have come, she said to herself rather sulkily. Liza! Liza! She heard her mother's voice calling her. All right, I'm coming, said Liza. I've been waiting for you this last half hour to rub me. Why didn't you call? asked Liza. I did call. I've been calling this last I don't know how long. It gives me quite a sore throat. I never heard you. Nah, you didn't want to hear me, did you? You don't mind if I dies with rheumatics, do you? I know. Liza did not answer, but took the bottle, and pouring some of the liniment on her hand, began to rub it into Mrs. Kemp's rheumatic joints, while the invalid kept complaining and grumbling at everything Liza did. Don't rub so hard, Liza. You'll rub all the skin off. Then, when Liza did it as gently as she could, she grumbled again. If you do it like that, it won't do no good at all. You want to save yourself trouble. 
I know you. When I was young, girls didn't mind a little bit of hard work. But, Lord bless you, you don't care about my rheumatics, do you? At last she finished, and Liza went to bed by her mother's side. End of chapter 6